Hi, everyone. Thanks for checking out Moving Up the Ladder here on LJN Radio. I'm Tim Muma, and for this episode, we're introducing a new segment. Hopefully get some candid, no-nonsense answers about a lot of the popular ideas that are floating around the employment world. We're thinking in particular the areas of management and human resources. You'll get a good feel for what we're talking about here in just a moment. Now, we're going to call this segment Myth versus Reality, really trying to separate truth from fiction when we talk about some of the advice and strategies that you might hear from those so-called experts. Now, we brought on our own expert today. His name is Jim Weber, and trust me, he's not going to pull any punches. He has more than 25 years of experience as an employment lawyer as well as a human resources manager, and now he's often called upon for speaking engagements as well as workplace investigations. So trust me, he has some terrific insight into basically every single area that we might touch on. You should also be sure to check out his blog. It's called Evil Skippy at Work. And over there, he tackles workplace topics with the same type of straightforward gusto that we're hoping to get in our show here today. Jim, thanks for joining us. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you for having me. So we're trying something a little new with this podcast. Uh, we reached out to you because I know you will give that honest, straightforward opinion that we're looking for. Maybe a little bit of snark. As you like to put on your website, uh, I'll try to keep it to a little, <laughs> uh, I, you know, a little lot, you know, whatever, whatever it takes. But we're looking at the idea of figuring out if some of these statements that we hear and that we read regarding hiring and management, if these are truly real or if they're just myths and they don't really apply. So we're calling it myth versus reality. And I'm just going to throw out one of these statements to you and just get your take. First of all, do you think it's a myth or reality? And then why? Just give us an explanation as to what you think. And we'll kind of roll with that and see where we go. Sound good? Uh, sounds great. All right. Well, the first one I'm going to go with here is that firing a bad employee is more important than hiring a great one. Uh, that one's real. I think that one's real. But I think a lot of HR people use the flip of that and give a little saying that gives the reverse because they say, you know, people are your greatest asset. I think the bad employee is just your greatest ass. I mean, <laughs> you want to get rid of that person. <laughs> I mean, they're not an asset. So is it a fact that they could drag down a lot of people versus that great one really coming in and, and turning things around, so to speak? Or It's totally a fact because one bad employee, depending on how bad they are, sure. they could be ruining morale. So you're, you're losing your good employees. But the big fallacy for this is you have people hoping for this possible great employee who might be out there. Right. So you're putting all this attention into maybe it's like buying a lottery ticket. But if you have the bad employee, they're there. That's real. So deal with the real issue and things will get a lot better than, you know, hoping for some improved hypothetical person in the future. Yeah. And fair or unfair, there are probably probably easier to find a bad employee than it is to find a great one. Yes. Yeah. I think in a lot of places, that's very, very true. I mean, I, I think most of the HR people I've talked to, they don't seem to have any trouble finding a bad employee. <laughs> that's really easy to do. That's a, that's a fair point. That's a fair point. All right. Good. Yeah. I, I think we're off to a good start there. Excellent. Excellent. So the next one I have is culture fit is more important than skills or experience. It's something we've heard a lot lately. So culture fit is more important than skills or experience. Your take. Myth, myth, myth. Really? I mean, if you have a culture of jerky, dolt employees, why would you ever want to match that culture? Good point. What you want to have is good expectations. You want to hire people like the last one. You want to look for the best qualified employee, someone who can do the job. If you get that, a qualified person is going to learn how to fit into your office culture, your workplace culture. But when you start saying, I want a culture fit, the investigator in me, the evil Skippy in me says, oh, <laughs> what, you, what you really want to do is discriminate against anybody who's not like you. I mean, mm. I like having a diverse workforce in terms of attitudes and things like that. And if you start hiring everybody like who you already have, well, if you already have that bad employee, that means you have all bad employees for one thing. 
but the culture is what it is. I think you should hire people who are more qualified and not try to make people fit into whatever kind of, well, weird environment you may already have. <laughs> so where does this come from then, do you think, this push? Because I'm sure you've seen it and heard it that it's all over as far as culture being this number one idea and everything else will kind of fall into place. Well, I think what it comes from, it's a good intention mm. of wanting people to be more open and you want to have a good work morale and you want people to enjoy their work environment. But a lot of human resources these days, I think, is being managed based on sayings and quotations, and they're not looking at what's underneath. And mm -hmm. when people say culture fit, I think half the time they don't really know what they mean other than they've heard it before. Okay. And I, I, you know, when I used to do employment litigation, and I would, people would say, well, they need to fit into the culture. I would kind of just smile and hit the cash register button because I went, <laughs> okay, we're going to get a big settlement out of this one because <laughs> you, you know it's not going to come to a good end. And I think that's interesting, like your perspective there, because you have a couple of different angles that you can come from this. So yep. uh, I think that maybe gives people yeah a little better understanding of even where you're coming from. All right, well, let's go on to the next one. And this is a popular one that, of course, we, uh, we see and hear a lot. As someone who's looking to hire, that you'll eliminate a candidate for one spelling or grammatical error on a resume or a cover letter. I think that does happen. I think a few people do it, but I think that is really a myth. Hmm. But it's, it's not a myth for the reason you think. I think people reviewing the applications are going to tell you, yes, they pay attention to those errors. But I think the reason it's a myth is that I think most of the people reviewing these resumes and applications in the process miss half the real errors that are in there anyway, unless you've misspelled the you know, HR manager's name. Right. They tend to notice that or get the gender <laughs> wrong. They get that one right away. But I see horrendous grammatical errors. I see spelling problems that made it all the way through the process. Hmm. It, you don't want to make a lot of mistakes right. when you apply because right. that makes you look sloppy. But I think, think of how many resumes people look at. There's just too many. If, if, mm -hmm. if they catch too many, it's okay, you're, you're hiring a proofreader. So maybe that's <laughs> going to be important. But other than that, yes, it's important to try to be accurate when you're doing the applications. But Mistakes like that don't really matter other than it gives you something to talk about. If you're on the hiring committee, you can make fun of them between interviews and have some good jokes. But Ouch. when it comes, well, it's, <laughs> you, you got to do something to kill the time. Hey, I'm not but, saying I'm not saying you shouldn't. <laughs> I'm not saying you're wrong. I mean, it's just like you hear stories of teachers talking about students, you know, in the, in the cafeteria or whatever. It, it happens. Yeah. Yeah, you don't want them to do it about you, but you know they do. But what's really important is, you know, how do you treat the person when they're in? And, you know, if I've got that great employee we talked about before, but they spelled something wrong in the letter, mm -hmm. I'm going to hire them instead of somebody who's got a really good proofreader who reviewed their letter, but really was a dud at the interview. Yeah, and I, I agree. I mean, that's that's something where I always struggle with when we talk about these things with professionals and your point exactly there. I mean, okay, say they make one mistake, but they're just phenomenal in another area, provided it isn't, as you said, they're not a proofreader or a writer exactly. of some kind. Yeah. Exactly. No, yeah. I, can, I can definitely see that. I mean, I think that's an interesting one. I, I mean, again, as you said, you don't want to be making all these mistakes, but maybe you shouldn't freak out about it uh, too much. As I, like you said, as long as it's not like a major uh, issue. Exactly. And, and when you're reviewing it, you shouldn't ever have one thing that's going to exclude somebody because mm -hmm. it's always going to be a mixed bag. You want to balance everything else and not just have one little thing. If that's wrong, then you're done. Sure. All right. Uh, another one, I guess this relates a little bit. Achievements and talent will excuse more bad behavior than it will for the average employee. I really wish that was a myth, but it's real. <laughs> <laughs> it is so real. Well, I know, I know from a, my own experience that the better I did at work, the more I could goof off and do things because it wouldn't matter. Mm -hmm. I mean, as an employee, you know, like, okay, do really well. You, you kind of buy some, some credits so that you can, you know, maybe not do so well at other times. And people know that. Right. But when I'm doing investigations, and this 
it's it's kind of sad, but it also makes me again think, well, here's somebody waiting for a lawsuit. Is <laughs> when I'm doing an investigation, they'll come in and they'll say, you know, it's high level person. We know they would never do anything wrong, but we have to investigate anyway because you know they're our most successful person. And when I do the investigation, it turns out, well, yeah, they're successful, but they're also being really horrible to everybody <laughs> working there. And a lot of places will excuse it because they look at the profit mm-hmm. and not at the impact on the morale. And I think it's it's a sad but true thing. I think bad behavior should be addressed by whoever whoever did it because sure. if you don't, your rotten employee is going to do the same bad thing later, but you can't do anything about it because you didn't do anything when your great person did it <laughs> earlier. So it's 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 a it's a catch twenty two for employers. You have to deal with it. But you know, if you're successful enough, you can get away with more. It's the truth. It's not nice, but it's true. And that's really honestly why I wanted to have you on. You would give us that straight answer, even though you, <laughs> uh, you have so, I mean, you do, you feel like it's not necessarily a good thing, but you're acknowledging that it does occur and, and it probably happens. I mean, you know, it's easy to look at it, like say with professional athletes or celebrities, you see them yeah. visually, you see them get away with this stuff, but it's happening yeah. on that scale in your workplace probably too. Yeah. And it also sometimes means they look untouchable, you know, sure. for a while because I mean, I have no idea if Bill Cosby did or didn't, but for years he was, you know, the big dad on television, nobody would touch him. And right. now it's coming out more. So whether or not he did or didn't, I think that illustrates if you've had a lot of achievements, you might have a little bit more of a, of a shield, a little bit more Teflon, but it comes from something good though, because if you have employees who've worked for you for a long time and they make a mistake, I think employers should be more forgiving training and whatnot than they would if it's somebody their second day of work did the same thing. Right. You know, they're brand new. They're supposed to be trying to impress you. If they have a track record with you, sure, you need to have, you know, you need to be humane. You need to be a human. But I don't think it should be a get out of jail free card that you've had a good record if you do something truly dreadful. Fair enough. Fair enough. So that is a reality. But uh, as Jim is talking about here, it doesn't necessarily make it a good thing. So we got a couple more we want to get to here. All right. Let's go with yearly performance reviews are the most effective type of evaluation. I hear that all the time and I want to slap people when they say it. That's a myth. I I figured. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Well, it's, I think, okay, I want to be clear. Yearly performance evaluations are a good thing to do. Employers should do that. But the yearly evaluation is nothing but documentation. I know that's a dirty word to a lot of managers because documentation makes them break out into a sweat and then it feels like work. But the yearly evaluation is simply documentation of feedback and supervision that should have been taking place Mm -hmm. throughout the entire work year. Employers, supervisors should be doing the feedback on a consistent, almost daily basis, whether it's the good, the bad, the in-between. And if the only evaluation you're doing is the annual one, what I call you is a defendant because you're just not doing your job and you're probably looking at lawsuits somewhere in the future. The, it's, it's a mural. When you're doing the evaluation, you're doing a mural covering lots of different things. It's not a snapshot of one point in time. Right. So I, I can feel my blood pressure go up when HR people are <laughs> telling me, yes, we do annual evaluations. And they look so smug. And I go, what else did you do? And they go, well, what do you mean? <laughs> I go, okay, we got a problem. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, think if you're an employee and you've worked all year and you think everything's fine. Right. And now you get the evaluation and go, oh, by the way, you really suck. Wait, why didn't you tell me this 11 months ago? And that's what I was going to bring up is a lot of times when we talk with individuals, we'll say that, you know, there shouldn't be anything that's necessarily a surprise in that yearly review, right? Absolutely. I say that in training all the time. If you are a supervisor and what you say is a surprise to the employee, you messed up, you're not doing your job right, and you should get a bad review. Good to know. All all you listening out there, mark these (laughs) down. Myth or reality, we're still getting you some good tips. So make sure that you are 
paying attention here to Jim. He uh, he definitely has his stuff together, what we're talking about today. We have one more for certain that we want to get to. And all right. I find this one intriguing because of just, again, all the people we talk with and, and the discussions we have. In an interview, so you as the hiring manager, hiring personnel, individual, in an interview, you will make a decision in the first five minutes for that candidate. That is so real. Hmm. I do it. When, I, when I've when i been an HR person myself doing the interviews and when I do it now, I do it all the time. I think we, we can't help do it. Our brains are wired for us to be making decisions and judging and thinking. The key to a successful interviewer and hiring professional, though, is are you willing to change your mind after that first five minutes? Hmm. If you make an irrevocable decision in the first five minutes, you might be right, you might be wrong. Sure. I think more often you might be sort of right. but you can't handicap yourself by saying, I'm going to try not to decide at all because it's natural. We're going to do it. I mean, well, the worst one I ever had, I knew within 20 seconds, we weren't going to hire this person when they walked in the door. And it was probably the worst interview of my life because, well, they actually tried to strangle me during the interview. But- whoa, whoa, whoa. Wait, wait a second. We're not going to let you, we're not going to let you go. We have to have a quick story on that. Oh, I thought we were almost out of time. <laughs> well, no, we got, you know, it's a podcast. We can extend if we need to. I was working for a nonprofit and it was my very first HR job. I was in my early 20s. I, to be honest, I was probably not especially qualified for the job, but I got it anyway because I talked myself into it. Imagine that. <laughs> um, and they, because it was a nonprofit, they did not want to really tell the outside world that they were a business per se. They wanted to operate like you know, warm and fuzzy helpers that they were. So they stuck HR way off in this annex at the far end of this campus where I was not near anyone. And my assistant brings in the applicant and says, she's going to be going to her lunch break. Should, he, should she bring him in anyway? And she, I said, sure, go ahead. And I looked up. I couldn't see the doorway anymore. This person was so big. He looked like a Harley Davidson gang member. His, his pupils were shaking. He clearly was high on something. And my assistant oh, vanishes. <laughs> the first thing I do is I look for the exit, like, okay, how can I get out of here? I can't. He's blocking it. So <laughs> I sit him down and he tells me he wants to be Santa Claus. Whoa. Yeah. And I said, well, this is going to be an easy out. I could just tell you, no, we, we don't hire Santa Clauses. So we're done. I'll just take your application and you can go. But as I was explaining to him, no, we don't hire Santa Clauses. He just lunged across the desk. He grabbed my necktie. He lifted me out of my chair. He got nose to nose with me. He did not have good breath. I can smell it right now remembering it. He goes, either I'm going to be Santa Claus or you won't be around for New Year's. Wow. Yeah. And the bad thing was I was not wearing a clip on. So I, <laughs> the time, I was stuck there. And, you know, you think, can I run? Well, he's got a death grip on me. So I did the only sensible thing. I lied. And I said, you're hired. <laughs> I said, but you still have to fill out the tax forms because even Santa pays taxes. And wow. at this point, looking at his application and it says he lives on the North Pole, I'm going, well, why did my assistant bring this person in? Jeez. So I went, I went running to the main office, which was across this big grassy knoll area. And imagine you're the receptionist and a crazed HR person runs in and says, Santa just tried to strangle me. You would not take the person seriously. Yeah, and <laughs> by the time they paid attention. We got back. The guy was gone. Never saw him again. I did get coal in my stocking that year, so I do wonder. <laughs> but I, I learned then, you know, sometimes that initial decision you make as soon as you see an applicant is the correct one, <laughs> but you have to keep an open mind. Well, that is a phenomenal story. It might be the best real life example we've ever heard on uh, LJ and Radio. Now, we are in our infancy still, but that is a terrific story. Quickly going back to the statement, for those that don't remember because they're caught up in the, in the imagery that you were giving to us, in an interview, you make a decision the first five minutes, you're saying in reality. So for any job seekers that are listening, 
And as you said, you can change your mind. It's not like you're making that final decision there, but what could they do to make that big first impression in those first five minutes, at least give themselves the leg up? Well, first of all, don't try to strangle the interviewer. Good start. That would be a good one. But it's, you don't have to look perfect. You don't have to have the best outfit on, but you have to have some degree of apparent confidence, whether or not you feel it inside. I tell, I tell you know, college people when I do coaching about interviewing, I said, don't strive to be confident. Don't strive to be perfect, but just look it. <laughs> you know, as you walk in, if you could just feel it, I think that degree of confidence is important, but it's, you know, say hello, speak clearly, smile. Of course you're nervous, but don't let it don't let it incapacitate you. Everyone is. You're going to start talking really soon. You're going to relax. But you know, think about the interview ahead of time. Plan one or two things you know you're going to want to say. But remember, they are going to be judging you the entire time, no matter how nice and friendly they are. So you know, be professional. Don't try to entertain them. You can try to be a comedian later. But they will decide probably as soon as you walk in the door about like, dislike. They're going to reserve judgment for later. But right. every single moment is important. Well, Jim, I have to say you did not disappoint at all. Uh, I appreciate all of your blunt honesty. That's what we're looking for here and a couple great stories in there as well. And uh, I do think, though, guys did all of that and the entertaining aspect of it. Some great tips for those listening, whether they be on the hiring side or job seekers as well. So things to keep in mind. But Jim, truly a pleasure. Thanks for coming on the show. Hey, it was my pleasure, too. Thank you for having me. Once again, that's Jim Weber. Check him out at jimweber.net. That's J-I-M-W-E-B-B-E-R.net. And as I mentioned at the top of the show, definitely check out his blog. It's called Evil Skippy at Work. You will not be disappointed. It's got some great information as well as a little bit more snark if you're missing that from your day. If you'd like to get in touch with us here at LJN Radio, you can shoot us an email, ljnradio at localjobnetwork.com. You can also reach out to us on Twitter, at the LJN. If you want to check out some more of our podcasts as well, you can find us on iTunes. Just search LJN Radio in the iTunes store. And you can also find us online, ljnradio.com. For everyone here at LJN Radio, I'm your host, Tim Muma. Take care, everybody.